what does success look like? When you're 21, you think success looks like millions of dollars, travel and cars. And as you get older, you start to realize that's not exactly what success looks like to a lot of people. Hi, my name is James Martin from Insider Guides. You sort of change, don't you, over the years? And, and when you're 21, you have all the confidence in the world and get a bit older, you sort of, uh, you get a bit more focused to world becomes a little bit smaller and a little more, a little bit more controlled. You've got to put your ego aside. You just, you just can share things without fear of getting minimized. And someone you actually want to help, someone you want to look after. There were these three rules to life, which he brought out. So let's not keep you waiting any longer and turn through the pages of this open diary. I hope you are listening. James. What? do you do and why is it important i run a media company that helps international students and migrants really understand what cities are about here in australia and um, how to really engage with their community uh i guess it's important because a lot of international students come to australia with very little understanding of what life is like here and they don't really are not really given the support i mean when we started our business it was all about um when, when i looked around we looked around at what students were given when they first arrived and it was a lot of like survival based stuff which was like don't die like in the first few weeks of coming to australia it's like don't die um how to call triple o you know that kind of stuff and uh you know i guess i saw a, a gap where there was not really much information to help these this group of people understand what life is like here to enjoy your time rather than just survive <laughs> and that, and for that i think it's important life is too short to just come here and study and not have not have a good not have a good time how did you land on that idea was there previous experiences that made you feel like you want to help international students or was there a moment of inspiration where you're like, yep, this is a good idea and I want to, I want to explore it. How did it come about? Uh, it was a few things, actually. Uh, one of the first things that happened was I was a, a bartender in a bar in Rundle Mall, but I won't say which one because it's pretty, not, not a very good one. Uh, and um, I, one day these students came in and they sort of sat down and I just couldn't understand why they why they came in there. It was just a dive. Um, and I said to them, you know, why did you come here out of interest? And they said, well, we don't really know anything about the city and no one really told us anywhere to go. And it just sort of clicked on me that there's a, there's a communications gap there. But then I also went overseas and studied for six months in Bordeaux in, in France and um and understood from the student's perspective what I, what was really needed. And I sort of have always been a huge fan of, um, you know, the story of Lonely Planet and the story of how Richard Branson started um, working in, 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 student, um, in student associations and, and how he sort of turned his passions into a business. And, um, and then I did marketing and international studies at the university and uh, it all sort of just came together i thought well i could probably do this and just started going when you first started what were the what were the initial challenges that you were dealing with as a, as a startup i guess yeah um 
I think the first thing was obviously I didn't know whether or not it would work. And I went to all my lecturers and asked them, you know, do you think this would work? Actually, a few of them said it probably wouldn't. And uh, I was quite surprised about that because these were meant to be sort of marketing. I, it sort of made me realize that I, at that time in university that, you know, a lot of my university lecturers weren't actually interested in helping people start a business. They were helping students get a job. Uh, and it sort of made me think, rethink uh, the value of university in some respect. And, uh, you know, I still finished the degrees. It was all good, but that was a challenge trying to navigate that. Uh, realizing that I didn't have any money and I really didn't know how to do design and, and content production and things like that. So having like trying to find someone who can help, that was also a challenge. Um, and just, you know, I guess, I guess just the unknown, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my, 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 my friends would, would focus on, you know, studies and then their career and this sense of just trying things for the sake of trying things uh, was, you know, part of you sort of has that doubt, like, is this even, what am I doing? <laughs> is this worth it? Um, and you sort of, you know, you, to be honest, it's sort of that, that sort of never leaves you actually as an entrepreneur. I don't think it never leaves you that sense of, you know, is this still worth it? Uh, but those were, those were hard. And, you know, obviously the money stuff was hard. There were days where, you know, I, I worked as a, I worked in like multiple jobs just so I could keep doing this on the side. Uh, yeah. And that was hard. <laughs> those are the challenges, I think. I think, uh, the number one thing comes with trying something new and, and I'm not talking from experience. Uh, the things I've, I've tried is much, much smaller compared to what you've done here, James, but it's that dealing with us uncertainty and certainties it's continuous uncertainties. It doesn't end, does it? No, it doesn't. And, you know, it just changes, just changes throughout the years. And, and, and it, I think that's sort of where, where it comes down to, you know, being, comfortable with the uncomfortable and just getting better at that over the years and being okay with you know i got to go to work today i actually don't know if what i'm doing is going to work or not but you know what there's something really valuable in just showing up and having a crack and uh yeah that is difficult but it's so rewarding if you do it love that james may i ask what was your impetus on the why did you start Insider Guides? When you first started, why did you believe in yourself that you could actually make a difference? Because clearly there was a serious system-wide problem. Why did you think you were the right person to tackle this problem? Uh, to be honest, it probably wasn't me trying to fix a system-wide problem. At the very start, it was really, I just really wanted to try to start a business and try to help some students along the way and see if this could actually be done. Um, and that sort of snowballs from there. And I, I, honestly, I think a lot of small business owners and for any sort of entrepreneur wannabes out there that are just sort of starting out on their journey, they'll often view these sorts of things as like they'll leave it, they try to get their why really, really clear and their, and their vision and their purpose and everything. And if they don't have it, they, really you know 
they just hate themselves for it and they can't seem to instill the motivation to keep going. Or they sort of view this massive mountain to climb and they just give up really early. And I I don't know. I, I think it's not like that. I think it's more of a series of, of steps and you just have to take the next step again and again and again. And I think that's what happened in there. In, in my case, it was uh, a sense of, look, this worked, this didn't. I'll just do I'll just try the thing that worked and I'll just double down on that. Oh, that worked, that didn't. I'll try that again. And it was a series of iterations over the years. Um yeah, and I just I think we were, I was quite lucky as as well because I didn't have, you know, uh, I didn't have some of the I was quite young, didn't have much to lose. I could just work a part-time job and I didn't have, you know, what why not as well. So yeah, in terms of the why, um, it was really just a sense of curiosity and adventure that led me down that path and it probably still does. Interesting. Was there an element of your Bordeaux journey that you went on and experienced that yourself that you think might have just given you that edge because you've experienced the customer journey, the real journey of being an international student, being away from everyone around you, being far away from your family and friends? Yeah, I mean, if you... If yeah, if you do arrive in a new city and you don't have any support network, you are immediately up against some serious issues. Like for example, you know, to get about fifty-six thousand international students arrived into Australia last month, and they are coming into a housing crisis where they have absolutely no chance of getting a place to live compared to local Australians that have a, a local network, that have referees that the agents can call, things like that. So the odds are stacked against them. Um, and everyone has this idea that international students are loaded with money and, you know, they're, they're going to be no, there's not going to be any problem, but that's not true. You know, there's a lot of students that do really struggle. Um, and so as I sort of started down this path and you sort of scratch at a few of those issues, you start realizing that under the surface, there's all these preconceived ideas about how students interact with the city that aren't true. Uh, and they do need help. And we saw that during COVID, you know, when, when international students were essentially not eligible for job keeper, job seeker, told to leave the country, you know, basically couldn't find a place to live because they had to, you know, they were, their releases expired, but they couldn't leave. They couldn't leave. Some some countries wouldn't let them re-enter. You know, we had we saw students lining up down the street trying to um, get charity food from like food bank, and, and it was pretty bad. So. It was, yeah, it was, it's it was sort of those moments when you start realizing, oh, well, like our stuff was actually helping and it still, it still helps. And uh, yeah, hopefully we still can. <laughs> Throughout this journey uh, that from, from your journey going to France and, and coming back and starting Insider Guides and uh, Insider, um, your media company, what that, what has that experience taught you about yourself? What is the biggest thing you've taken away about yourself? Yeah, it's an interesting one, actually. Um, on a personal level, I guess, you know, I always wanted to, I guess, uh, you know, get my degree and go, and, like I had, a, I had a degree in marketing and advertising and I was my original goal was that I wanted to go to Madison Avenue and work in advertising and, and things like that. But then, you know, through the process of starting this business and and 
doing that travel abroad and study abroad uh, and, and doing a bit more travel ever since then, um, you know, I guess you start to start to realize that uh, there's some real value in putting down roots in, in a city and having a home. Uh, and I, one of the things I realized was Adelaide is a fantastic home base and that this idea of just moving for the sake of moving to New York or London or Paris or whatever, uh, you know, and I went to all these places and I, it wasn't that great. So one, that was one big learning of starting this business was I really, I, the ambition that I originally had, to, which, which was to go and live in these new cities and countries, um, it sort of dissipated when I went there and I, I sort of scratched a bit and talked to students, talked to locals and, and, and you know, the, the problems are the same. You know, some some of these students they live in a, an apartment building where the, the mattress touches three walls of their apartment and <laughs> rent is sky high and it's it's not an easy place to live if you don't have a lot of money, um, and so that was a big learning of mine, which is geez we're lucky to live in a city like Adelaide, uh, and then I came home and and really decided at that point in my early twenties that this was something this is a place I wanted to call home. That was one that was one example of of me sort of trying to find, uh, I guess, some learnings about myself. The other learnings would include uh, a, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of contentment, uh, building something and seeing it come to life. Um, just uh, You sort of build confidence when you realise that, that something you thought was really hard was actually very achievable uh, and, and you get the feedback from the sector and from the students that what you did was actually quite cool. Um, and I guess... Once you, that, you start feeding yourself that story that you can actually make things happen, you know, it gets easier. Life, it does, and, and you sort of feel a bit more empowered that next year is going to be okay and the year after that it's going to be okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, and getting comfortable, as I say, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, and that's probably a big learning that I took from this. It's not to say that I still I still struggle, you know. I still struggle with... with um, with you know anxiety and 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 you know insecurities, um, but I guess you just get you just get better at telling yourself the right story. Love that, James. Really, really intrigued to dig into that balance of remaining ambitious, but also being true to yourself. That I'm only human, and I will get anxious if I'm trying to overcome this gigantic mountain. And it's all this natural tension in your, in your state of being where I'm, I'm, I'm really aiming to go and hike and kind of overcome this mountain of, of obstacles, but actually day to day all you feel is just this friction and, and, you know, challenges. How do you feel your 21-year-old James, you know, would feel today if, if he looks at you <laughs> at 36 years? What would he say? Uh, probably, you know, I think, I think he'd be impressed that, you know, you, I've sort of been able to keep this idea going for so long because I originally thought it was only going to last about a couple of years, um, until someone worked out that, you know, it, it wasn't a good idea and tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, go back of the line. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean. 
you sort of change, don't you, over the years? And, and when you're 21, you have all the confidence in the world and, and, and you think, I can do anything. Um, and as you sort of get a bit older, you sort of, uh, you get a bit more focused, you get a bit more, uh, you know, you're, you don't, you don't invest. I didn't, I didn't invest in as many friends as I got, as I got a bit older and I sort of, the world becomes a little bit smaller and a little more, a little bit more controlled. Um, and I guess when, I guess what, what they'd say to 21 year old would say to my 36 year old would be, you know, well done. You probably didn't need to worry so much because <laughs> you got there. Um, and I guess, you know, thinking it sort of, I guess the question really strikes at what does success look like, you know, and when you're 21, you think, you think success looks like a millions of millions of dollars and travel and success and, you know, cars and, and, and I guess as you get older, you start to realize that's not exactly what success looks like to a lot of people. So I think what my 21-year-old would say to my 36-year-old is, um, is, is that the success that you wanted? Um, and I'd reply, yeah, I think it is. And it might not look like success to a lot of people, but um, it, is, it is exactly what I wanted. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite content with, with the small good life that being this kind of entrepreneur can bring. You touched on a good point there, James. You said as you are getting older, you're investing less time into building new friendships. And I feel like these day, in, in this day and age, real connection, real friendship, real relationships are becoming more and more scarce. What is your idea for friendship? Sorry, I think I just cut out there. Did you say what is my idea of what? Sorry? Real friendship friendship um yeah and that's a very good question because i yeah like life gets in the way right you know you start you start working really hard and then your friday nights instead of thinking you're gonna go out and and and, and be with all your mates really you just want to go home and chill and do nothing for a while and then that feeds into the weekend where you just have a bit more of a chill weekend with lunches and din and there's less parties and then people start having kids and, and you know, it, it just sort of shrinks, like this world shrinks. And the way in which you um, uh, give and receive changes. So I don't know. I guess what, what, what is a good friend? I think someone who you absolutely uh, would love to go on like a three-hour hike with and talk about what is actually affecting their life. Um, and be able to sort of provide that feedback and give it, um, give feedback and receive that feedback and not feel like one person has this as a sense of uh, one-upmanship. It's probably the worst trait in a friend is you say something and the other person just says, oh, yeah, but, you know, what about this? And it's just like this always one-upmanship drives a lot of people nuts. So. I think having sort of an equal approach to just, you know, playing conversation tennis, <laughs> it's always a good skill. But then I guess to answer your question, a good friend is someone you can call in a crisis, um, have an absolute mutual uh, bond with where you, you, just, you just can share things without fear of getting, um, you know, minimised 
put down, things like that. Um, and someone you actually want to help, you know, someone you want to look after, um, you know, and not, not get anything out of it. You know? And I think, honestly, as you get older, you start being a lot more careful about who you want to spend your time with because you, you've got some weird, distorted idea of what you're going to get out of that friendship. And it's not always like that. Some friends don't give anything. They're just some friends, you know, and you sort of got to put your ego aside and just, you know, love for the sake of love. Love for the sake of love. Very powerful. <laughs> I have to ask this question because it's just a burning question. When was the last time you called a friend during crisis? Oh, uh, a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, I should probably do it more, actually. <laughs> I think we all should. <laughs> what, what do you think was really stopping you from doing that? Uh, look, I think it's pride. I think it's ego. I think it's a sense of people don't. You, you feel that you don't want to burden other people with your problems, but I think that's actually a barrier to a lot of good friendships because people want to feel vulnerable with other people. People want to talk to people, but at the same time, they've got this voice in their head saying that it's not a good idea to burden other people with problems. It's, you know, I, I struggle with it. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Quick one, can you please take a second and follow us on any platform you're listening from? It will help more than you know. Thank you. I agree. I think it's also people realizing that people, that others want to listen to them, want to be, want to be there for them. You don't, they don't really want to fix the problem. Often just listening mm. be the biggest remedy i guess it's yeah exactly and there's nothing more frustrating than talking to a friend and then just giving you feedback non-stop you're like i didn't actually want the feedback i just wanted to have a chat <laughs> i think ali has a really nice way to capsulate this because we have been recently listening to this podcast that talks about this exact topic and I think the concept earlier was called sitting together in the mud. Mm. That's lovely. And what what was what was said in that podcast was that when a friend of mine is going through something hard, what I do, I say to them because you often pick up if someone is not feeling well, not not being themselves. You call them like, "Hey, I know you're not doing well. Don't be an asshole and let me sit in the mud with you." So you can share with me anything. I think that 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 in itself a lot opens a lot of room for people to open up because it's often you need that little push to 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 do that and to open up to your friends. And especially you know, in the, in, when international students come to Australia, you can see how much they lean on their networks um, and how much they love sharing, you know, food, art, culture, all kinds of things. And it's just not a very Australian trait to to um, I, don't, I guess it is and it isn't like it it it's sort of a um, it's sort of a, a mixture of like tall poppy syndrome kind of thing and you know you, you, 
you, you should be able to, uh, it's hard to explain, but uh, it wouldn't be tall poppy syndrome. Maybe we should edit that bit out. That makes no sense. <laughs> but it's, uh, I guess, I guess this, uh, just what I'm trying to say is uh, um, there's, that there's a sense that you should be able to handle life on your own in this country and, you know, you shouldn't be relying on too many people. But I don't think so. I think a lot of cultures completely rely on other people. <laughs> I agree with you. There's a societal expectation, boss. There's an expectation that we put on ourselves. Mm. They like, you need to deal with this by yourself. You don't need anyone. You should be better than this. You don't yeah. need anyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a good point. Maybe we can touch upon another kind of part of your life. When you reflect on your early years, what is one experience that you think has had a significant impact on who James is today? Hmm. I think it's weird, actually, but when I was six years old, I lived in France. My dad used to work for the UN, and we got moved around a bit. Uh, and I went to school in France, and I was eight years old, and I went to a French school. And I just really felt that I was, it was just hard. Like I didn't understand anything that was being said. Um, I was just thrown in the deep end. And I don't know, it, it took about three months before I started to make friends and speak the language. And I don't know, it was really, really difficult. But coming back, you know, as a nine-year-old and then something just stuck with me that, you know, in reinvention is a part of life. And I guess that stuck with me as I matured into being a teenager and, and I had this desire to travel. And travel is a huge part of, part of my life today. And it, I guess the fear of changing, changing things. You know, a lot of people fear change, but I don't know. I guess that was an experience that, that fundamentally changed the view that, you know, what is on the other side of fear and often it's, it's not as not as bad as you think. That was something that really fundamentally made me who I am today. And there were some negative things about that experience as well, but that was something that stuck with me. James, yeah, I love the fact that you have experienced that as a kid and then again as an adult. And 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 today you're actually one of the few people who, in my own language and dictionary, I call actually gives a shit about this problem. And excuse my French, but where are you trying to take this? If you had a magic wand today, what what impact you you would like to have? Because I feel like you are you really uniquely positioned having experienced this as a kid and as an adult and then working again in this space as well of travel and migration mm. and having to integrate a new society and dealing with different cultures. You know, is it the host who has to do more work? Is it the arriving guests, the migrants? What are we missing here? This topic is just significantly remains really unresolved globally on so many levels. And I think in Australia we have a lot of work to do. But, yeah, what what do you think, you know, that impact would be if you were to have a really good good go and you had all the powers and all the money in the world? Yeah, look, I think there are systemic issues that are stacked against how 
international students can really thrive in Australia. And a lot of it is around, um, you know, the outcomes the students have at the end and, and where they go, how they get into the workplace. Um, and a lot of the companies, a lot of companies don't hire international students because they're too petrified of visa issues and things like that. I'd love to be able to make a dent in that issue. Um, I'd love to see more uh, more universities, colleges, TAFEs give a greater orientation than rather than just ticking a box. I would rather, I would really love to see an emphasis on a good life once you move into a city, not just here's a, here's a metro card, here's a map of the city, here's a few tourist brochures, go on, one, like wave a wand and go socially integrate. Um, there needs to be a more comprehensive understanding that to have a good experience in Australia takes time and it takes effort. And uh, look, I think if I could help with that over time, it's so complex and you sort of, you have to meet, yeah, there's so many like issues to do with insurance and work and the legalities of students working and doing things like that. If I can chip away at those, but at the same time encourage the institutions that help migrants and help international students to just um, think more holistically about the orientation of these newcomers, uh, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, on a more personal level, though, I'd, I would love to be able to, you know, keep this business going indefinitely, uh, it, you know, and I'd, I'd love to be able to try new things within it. Um, and reinvent the business within it. And I think we're in a, a unique position. You know, we, we've got a small business, but we don't have any investors. We just, we just have been doing this through free cash flow for well over a decade. And I think that's quite a unique position for a small business to be in. Um, in this industry, we're talking huge dollars. And, um, and I would love to just, I would just love to keep that going. And I'd I think there's, it's one message I would love to say to those in the business community. And I was, I was really involved in the startup space um, of when Adelaide was really getting going. And I spoke at South Start, the first South Start conference. And I was like, I just think a lot of people, they start businesses with this idea that growth is fantastic. Like growth is growth for the sake of growth is absolutely fantastic. And it's, it's sort of madness. To me, I think growth is is not necessarily the best thing. You know, going to get investment and things like that, it just doesn't seem like that is the best outcome. Sometimes keeping it small and manageable and run and doing really good work, paying the bills, making a difference, that's a great life, you know. Um, and you can really change people's lives by not having this unbelievably crazy growth mindset that is so prevalent around today. I reflect on these two phrases. I think Simon Sinek uses a lot. There is a lot of self-help books in libraries today. And it's almost this like people developing the mindset of growth and I want to build this next billion dollar empire. But you lose the whole idea of helping others. There's no such a thing in the library of helping others. And like when you actually look at any side of a business fundamentally, you're creating business value, net new value. And sometimes you even lose the fundamental, you know, <laughs> purpose of what you're doing mm -hmm. because you said focus on growth. Mm -hmm. And 
personally and professionally. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, life doesn't get easier when you achieve growth, you know, and you can, um, you can go out and you can get investment and you can raise $5 million and, you know, give up half your company or something like that. Guess what? You've got a job now. <laughs> you've got a job. Um, you've got an investor. And look, I'm not saying that's like for some businesses, that is an absolutely valid way of growing and they need that level of investment in order to take their business to the level that they want to get to. I'm not saying that's not, that's, that's absolutely fine. But I do think there's a bunch, there's, there's so much out there that says this is the only way to go. And um, I don't know. I really don't buy into it. I think you can build a business that you absolutely love without it being a startup with a rocket going through it. Like you can just, you can do it a different way. And, you know, there's not enough of that going around in this startup community. Uh, it's all it's startup equal huge companies. What, what kind of startup turned into a, a lovely small business? <laughs> On, on, on that note, James, what, what sacrifices you've made personally to make this business to, to become what it is today and keeping it alive for 10, 15 years and wanting to keep it going? Yeah, look, I mean, I haven't had the experiences that my friends have had in big corporations. I haven't had the mentors. I haven't surrounded, I probably haven't surrounded myself with, um, you know, incredible mentors throughout the years and business savvy people throughout the years um, and and had that sort of like, this is what you should be doing as a next step. That's a bit of a, a bit of a sacrifice because, you know, on the one hand, you do gain that sense of, well, you know, this trial and error approach to life and you get really comfortable with that. But on the, on the flip side, you don't have a path and so you don't really know if what you're doing is right or wrong. So... I don't know. There is always a sacrifice. And I guess you have to be okay with this idea that the grass isn't always greener. And because you're in the world of business, you do have to catch up with people who are in all sorts of industries and try to get a feel for whether or not that's actually any better than what you're doing right now. And that's where I that's why I was so um so passionate about that. You know, I don't know. I I watched a doc I watched a um Remember that show Enough Rope with Andrew Denton back in the day in ABC? It was a it was a show where he would um, interview people uh, for an hour, and he interviewed Jerry Seinfeld. And there was this there were these three rules to life which he brought out, which were um, bust your ass, pay attention, and fall in love. And the bust your ass bit was you know, look just. Go nuts. Like try your hardest at everything. Only good can come from it. And it's just fantastic. Um, you know, you should always try your hardest. Pay attention was, I guess it's more of a, um, you know, the world around us is going so fast. You know, just stop and and understand that life is moving. Just chill out. You know, I guess it, it, it gives us this. Uh, it gives us the the analogy of like having a cup of coffee. You know, um, some most people will like sip sip on a cup of coffee. They'd be like, "Next," and he's like, "No, slow down. Like, hang on a second. This is a fantastic cup of coffee." <laughs> Just like really, you will enjoy life more if you mm. pay attention to those moments and fall in love. You know, and it's just a sense. It's not really a romantic love. It is a sense that you know the world is beautiful. 
make those moments, find the joy. And again, you will, um, you have to make the moment, you know, you have to make the moment and, and to, to fall in love with it. And um, I, I just love it. I think that's a, that's a really great rules to life. I've, the, I've remembered it since like for over a decade, those three rules. So, yeah. I really resonate with the pay attention one. Because what I've what I've tried this year, and I mean knows, is that how can I make myself so optimal where I can go from moment to moment and be present in that moment hundred percent, and not about not think about what happened ten seconds ago, and I am here and I am fully focused and I am present. It is not easy because I think it's it's the nature of how we wired, especially when. Um, I mean, I know, I know you're, you're you're the same, James. We've got so many moving pieces at the same time, and you're trying to manage and and balance it all and 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 you wanting to be at that person i really want to be that person but i can switch between different tasks and i'll bring my full attention to it so that that really resonated with me and it's good mm-hmm. i think jerry's always put in a different way but i was looking more like a spiritual sense because to me i like and I'm, i would love i'll ask you this question as well to me meaning of life is being present fully in each moment regardless of what the task is mm-hmm. with that said nice. What what do you think is meaning of life since since I brought it up? Jeez, man, big question. <laughs> I know. Didn't, didn't expect to get asked the meaning of life in a podcast, but that's fine. <laughs> I think it was a good segue for it. <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. Look, I mean, it sort of comes back to you know when when you're growing up, you, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to live the ultimate life. You know, travel the world make a lot of money, you know, just tr- like be successful. And I, you know, for many years that, that was the meaning of life for me, you know, to, to reach a certain goal. But I guess, you know, over the years you, you start redefining and renegotiating with yourself what is success and what is the meaning of life. Like we're only here on this earth for such a limited amount of time. Be good to people. Walk around a bit, bump into things, taste, smell, experience, love as much as you possibly can, and just die a happy person. You know, it, there's nothing else, just the present moment. You know, it is, you have to put the ego out of the way and just stop striving for an idea of success that it, it, it's not always there. I mean, sometimes the successful life is one that is lived now. It sounds cliche, but um, and I look, I suck at that. I'm not a very, I'm not a very. I really struggle to turn off. It's probably one of my biggest weaknesses. Um, but when you can, and when you find the things that you can that can turn you off, and for me, it's like cycling and baking and things like that. You find those hobbies and you build them into your life, and get curious about what works for you and what doesn't work for you and you keep adding elements and you start building a castle of what a great life is then you discover that the meaning of life is essentially experiencing those things as much as possible and enjoying them because that's all there is (laughs) Uh, go ahead amy yeah i was gonna say it's a great segue thing you mentioned cycling and baking which straight away jumped at me and I went, all right. Because I was actually about to ask you, how does how does James take care of James in this, you know, attention economy, I think what Ali calls it, 
where everyone has got the attention of a fish, probably. And you know, um, how do you, how does James take care of James? Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, I wasn't a huge cycler. Uh, for many of my, most of my years, uh, but I uh, I live now in a position which is in between a tram and a train. I can't really walk to either, so I'm left with the bus, but the bus takes forever. So out of necessity, I started cycling to work every day. It takes me about 40 minutes, and I would have to say doing that every day has made the greatest impact on my life in the past decade, uh, and it's really about clearing the cobwebs on the way to work clear the cobwebs and on the way home you clear the cobwebs and it is unbelievable it is life-changing and you know you get to the weekend and you're tired your legs and your legs are knackered but you feel relaxed you can really and it helps you enjoy your evenings it creates i mean i'm a i'm a guy of routine and discipline you know ask my fiance so it's a it's all very structured um but cycling is just has a way of doing that um but yeah, the other things you just, you know, I'm not a huge meditator, but I, I wish I was more of one. But the things that do bring me that sense of presence is when you start, you know, baking bread, making coffee. And I got this, I got this stupid machine I got from Spain, like stupid coffee machine. I'm such a coffee wanker. Everyone thinks I'm such a wanker about that. But I, I love it, you know, and you have to find things you love and just throw yourself at it. Um and you 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 squeeze it. You I think people who squeeze joy out of those things get a little bit extra out of life. And you, you know you look for those things. And I just try to do that as much as I can. I, I, that's how I that's how I try to do that. And just not con, not consume so much content. And everyone's got to get better at that. Let's be honest, <laughs> including me. <laughs> I agree. Um, James, I'm mindful of time, so I'm going to end with two questions. Question number one is, what is the best question I can ask you right now? Gosh. Um, maybe like, what, what, was it all worth it? You know, was it all worth it up until this point? Um, that's, a, that's a pretty good question, I think. Was it all worth it then? <laughs> you know, you check. The answer to that question would change depending on the month. <laughs> and that is the challenge of the human condition, having to deal with where you're at right now. And I'm sure the same, you know, I'm sure the same would apply to a lot of people. If you extrapolate over the past 20 years of my professional career, I would say, yeah, I mean, I've been able to not have a boss for since I was 22. Um, I've been able to pay for my pay for a house and live a, a life of travel every year and, and live a life through to my values. Um, was it worth it in terms of stress, ease, and anxiety? Uh, I don't know <laughs> because I don't know what was on the outside of that. I don't know what the alternative would have been. Part of me thinks, you know. I think everyone who starts their own business thinks this. They think, oh, I should, oh, I should have just gotten the job. It would have been way easier. But if if you're if you're someone like me who, you know, is always thinking about new things and trying new things, I think a job would have done your head in just as much, but in a different way. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so you can't escape what's in your mind. You just have to learn how to, it's like a, uh, oh, what's it called? The black stallion. You better learn how to ride it or it's going to kill you. That's great. Uh, we have a, an ending tradition of the podcast where the previous guest has left you a question. What's the piece of advice you've ever gotten? Um, the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten. I think the worst piece of, piece of advice I've received has been to essentially focus your career on making as much money in as short amount of time as possible. Um, and, you know, you come across people like that who will tell you that money is money will give you what you need. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't buy it. I mean, I think we're privileged to live in a place like Australia and, and to have a lot of the basic needs looked after. And I know that's such a, uh, a privileged statement to say that money doesn't bring happiness and things like that in many respects. But um, if you hang your hat on the idea that wealth generation will bring you a, a content, full life. Um, I don't know. I you, You'll see the other side of that. You know, you, you'll get to that point and you'll notice that you know, it's never, it, that, that desire will never stop. Um, and I've seen it countless times in my career, people who have ended up on that path and come to that realisation that, there has to be more than this. And, you know, I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of people who, who go through life today, they, they, they don't think about it as much as they should. What, does, what are you doing all this for? You know, what, what is life giving you? And, and, and what, is, what, what, really, what, is really an, what is really an indicator of success to you? Because what is a successful indicator to me is very different to what it is to you. I, my indicator might be um, uh, sleep. Uh, it might be um, uh, le lowered, lowered sense of worry and anxiety, and it might be um, fitness or something like that. And and other people it might be and pay the bills. You know, it's just different, right? So I think that's a it's a really important thing for people to understand is that you really got to, you really have to get curious with your own view of life. What is it that makes life worth living? And it comes to be money. Um, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate the conversation. You and you being so open about your life and your understanding, your thinking of life. So I'm sure I've learned a lot and I'm sure our, our audience will too. Our stories are the building blocks of who we are, and we hope this episode was the right trigger to reflect on your stories and how they made you who you are. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on whatever platform you are hearing this from. Until the next Open Diary.